Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. All of the X-Men are gay now. Guys, everyone's gay. They're gay, he's gay, she's gay, everyone's gay. Dokken is huge. Polaris has a personality. This is what we've been waiting for. That makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience. Unlike Jean Marie, who died in a car crash. And like, what a plebeian <laughs> way to go. Because like, she's like, and she's such a big personality. And speaking of big personalities, this is X. One of our big focuses on making sure that new voices get out there as much as possible. Fandom comes in all shapes, sizes, and forms. And the most important thing we can do to remember is that fandom is made up of a rich tapestry as rich as the X-Men themselves. And to wit, This Is X is looking to bring on a number of new correspondents all guesting in and sharing different aspects of fandom, different perspectives. And today we're kicking things off with someone I am so excited to be bringing over, uh, a very loud voice presence in X Twitter. Everybody, please welcome Nathan to the show. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. So, Nathan, I believe you are best known for standing a certain pop diva more than any of the others. Oh, yes. I love me some Dazzler. She is a fantastic character. I can't say enough about her. And, you know, we have long stand Dazzler on this show. We have been aggressively critical of her title. But it's hard not to be. It is hard not to be. When you look at it from the modern perspective, it is doesn't hold up the same as at the time, definitely. So, Maddie, I believe you are our host with the least amount of Dazzler experience. Are there any questions you have as a newbie to the Daz that you might want from a longtime Daz stand? Yeah, you know, I actually, I have some vague recollection of Dazzler's conception being something of a partnership between Marvel and a, and a record label, third party, correct? Yes, she was supposed to be a marketing joint venture between Marvel and Casablanca at the time. Originally, she was going to be based on Grace Jones, but when they were developing the movie, Bo Derek got semi-attached to it, so they modeled her character appearance after that. Wow, the Bo, Derek, the Bo Derek aspect is something I was completely unaware of. I knew about Grace Jones because I love that image more than just about any other image of Dazzler. But I did not realize that she wound up being modeled on Bo Derek. Well, now I'm sad that she didn't get the dreads either way. I know, right? <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I looked it up for context. And uh, if anyone feels like Googling Grace Jones Dazzler, uh, Krishna Draws has a beautiful take of Grace Jones's Dazzler. It's definitely one of my favorite iterations of the character visually. So it's a bit of a disappointment that she doesn't have more notoriety for that version. But speaking of versions, Kyle, I gotta know, do you have a favorite Dazzler outfit? Oh, I really like her outfit from the Australian Outback era. Now, Nathan, how about you? 
I really have to say probably my favorite one, and I know it was an alternate reality, would be the Age of X costume that they had her in. It was just so modern and of the time. I, I think we really need to see that. And the main reality, though, probably would have to be the newer Astonishing X-Men look. Well, sadly, they don't make any of those as action figures, <laughs> but... They sure do make the Outback era action figure. Marvel Legends recently released a Dazzler Outback figure. And as part of our exciting summer of guest hosts, we're going to be giving away a Marvel Legends Dazzler Outback figure. All you have to do to get a part of that is we're going to be adding a question at the end of the show and posting it to our official Twitter. Just give us a follow and a comment and you're automatically entered to win the Dazzler action figure. Next week, we're going to be revealing who won the figure live on air and sending it out to them ASAP. So if you're a fan of Dazzler, the Outback, free things, definitely check out our Twitter. You can find it on my Twitter, shared on all of the Twitters of all of the hosts. So definitely check it out and win yourself that Dazzler action figure. So it wouldn't be an episode of X's for Podcasts, though, without getting a little perspective on some romance. Jonah, I think your best experience with Longshot so far is with <laughs> Contest of Champions, the gotcha game. That is correct. I have not met him in comics. He has not appeared in anything here. I have not seen him in the original Dazzler run or anything thereafter. I just know he has blonde hair and he's just, you know, kind of lucky. He's that kind of girl. Speaking of that kind of girl, or should I say that kind of woman, and Nascenti super fan, comics professional, and all-around super nerd, Tori Sheehan is going to be coming on to cover Longshot with us in the next couple of weeks. She has been an Anne Nascenti stan for the last two or three years. Uh, Anne Nascenti's Daredevil is one of the big things that drew her into comics. So definitely keep an eye out for Tori joining our network to cover some amazing Longshot. So, but that means we're talking Longshot. I gotta know. Nathan, who is your ultimate Dazzler love? I would have to say my favorite relationship didn't really become a relationship, but I think they're just so paired well together would be Dazzler and Beast. Ooh. Yeah. We will be covering Beauty and the Beast at some point, so I'm a big fan of that one, too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. It's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to throw in, I kind of ship her with Havoc. Ooh. They're both just so damaged, and they're always on the X-Men damaged at the same time. I love it. They had some moments in that last astonishing run from Rosenberg. So, yeah, no, they had some really great moments. Well, speaking of people like Havoc that frequently find themselves banished to space, Empire Number 3 came out. And this puts us squarely halfway into Empire. Slot, Ewing, and Sheedy have been crafting this complicated web of Marvel cosmic history, and they've been knitting it together with such fine dexterity. I don't know if that is leading to everybody maybe losing parts of the narrative. For my money, Empire is kind of starting to maybe drag along a little bit for me. Kyle, I know you're reading like everything Empire right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. It feels like all of the pieces aren't really connecting at this point, and I'm not really sure how it's all going to come together in the end. Now, I'm only reading Empire and Empire X-Men. 
no offense to the other tie-ins, but my wallet has limitations, and crossover buy-ins aren't necessarily my big thing. I believe Jonah and Maddie, you guys are on the same exact read list as me. Nathan, are you reading anything else from Empire? I have not delved into it yet. I've picked up a few of the issues, but I just haven't had the time to really dive into them. Yeah, I haven't found myself particularly drawn in. Maddie, Jonah, are there anything you guys feel like you should be reading from the Empire event? Maybe something in the background or a referenced character moment that you feel like, no, I want to see that now. I mean, I would love to read more of Robbie Reyes. He's not really vital and like important to the plot of Empire, but he seemed cool. You know, Robbie is my life. Robbie is my love. He's my sexy Latino ghostwriter. Although it is important to note that in our recent coverage of the Fantastic Four, we just discussed that there was a female Latina ghostwriter <gasps> just before Robbie. So dumb on us for never bringing her up. I feel like I could be reading so much more that ties in, but in addition to, you know, you're saying it, my wallet has limitations as well. I do wish I were reading Fantastic Four at the moment so I could understand the challenges that Valerian Franklin met apparently in Fantastic Four number 22. I admittedly wish I were caught up on uh, the most recent Avengers run, but, you know, I'm also a little bit underwhelmed by the content of what we're reading without the additional tie-ins, so I'm considering myself a little bit better for the wear. I just want to note that Fantastic Four number 22 hasn't actually come out at this point. Hmm. Fascinating. This is another instance where they shuffled things around and Fantastic Four number 22 is actually coming out this week. I find that Remarkable. so frustrating! <laughs> yes. Part of my frustration spinning out of the events of Empire has been this really disjointed sense of where the story lies, whether it's from the involvement in the pages of Incoming, which I'm still not convinced had anything to do with this, where we were told, like, there's going to be, like, a war on kids or something. And now Teddy is like, oh, nope, I don't need the sword. Poof, magic sword, go to Black Panther. Now, don't get me wrong. Give everything to T'Challa. Trust T'Challa. T'Challa good, space people bad. But I feel like Teddy has had so little agency that wishing away the magical sword that we were told is his main stratagem. You know, I went back and I read the Emperor Hulkling one shot, which was terrific, but I don't know that that book feels like it fits Empire. It almost feels like that was like a magical thought flying through the universe. Now, Kyle, you read Emperor Hulkling as well, correct? I did, yes. It's more of a setup than anything. I think these Lords of Empire stories are kind of supposed to be backstories to help us understand exactly where things are leading us up to the start of Empire. And I guess that brings us to a pretty major point in Marvel history that is going to start coming up now. I don't really see a way around it. The Empress of the Skrulls has returned. Our last real involvement with her was Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion, of course, was a really major turning point, not just for the Marvel Universe as a whole, but specifically these characters and these iterations of these characters. I think I read every page of Secret Invasion, every tie-in. I gave them all my money. I bought into every lie. Like, excitedly, they killed Elektra to start the fucker. That's how you get my attention, you know? And then it turns out Spider-Woman was always a scroll, but not always a scroll, just a scroll since we saw her. But then there was a miniseries that revealed that she wasn't a scroll the whole time. I couldn't do it anymore. But how many people here had read Secret Invasion in any form? I read a piece of it when I was starting to read Thor. 
I mean, if you don't have a real tie to Secret Invasion, the Kree Scroll War, the Kotati, you know, other than Guardians of the Galaxy, did a lot of people resonate with the Return of Mantis? You know, I I have to say no, unfortunately not. I thought it was I thought it was nice, you know, I thought it was what obviously comes next. But, you know, to go back to your secret invasion question, that was the first line-wide crossover that I came to as a as a week-to-week buyer. And so I was so disenchanted by that, having not known that line-wide crossovers would be something that would darken my doorstep ever. I quickly threw in the towel. So I definitely feel like I uh, I backed the wrong conceptual horse when it comes to today's topic i don't i don't think you backed the wrong no i yeah linewood crossovers are tough bro i'm just more tough more tough and i think the thing that holds me back from really loving this crossover with all my heart is i don't want any of the players to win Mm. i don't Mm. i don't want to see the career the scroll win i don't want to see the kotati win the Avengers aren't players in this. They are victims. They are pawns. The Avengers have no true stake in this fight other than, you know, fuck Earth. But I think making this so many other people's fight and making it about the Swordsman. When was the last time the Swordsman was deeply relevant? Like, I love Dan Slott. I've loved Dan Slott since She-Hulk. I know that his Spider-Man run definitely not only lost me, I dropped it at some point, but it had some moments that concerned some people. Not enough positive can be said about Al Ewing and his Mighty Avengers run, one of the best Avengers runs I've ever read, and it was such a beautiful coalition of heroes of color. You can't look away from a beautiful book like that. But for me, 50% of the way through Empire, I find myself only 50% engaged anymore. Yeah, no, I I would definitely agree on that. It feels like it's going to be another War of the Realms event where really nothing's going to come out of it in the end. Everything's going to go back to the status quo. I agree. I think Kyle and I had some words about War of Realms. I loved it, but I feel like as soon as it was over, they were done with it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that, especially with all of the fallout with with the X-Men involved, who who were still involved in it, so, uh, because at that time, that was still during uh, Age of X-Men as well, so it was a a mess. (laughs) So I have to agree with Nico that my attention span when it comes to Empire is severely waning. This issue did not really help because it felt very lackluster. Not much really happened in terms of action. It didn't really feel like the plot was driven forward. While I'm not the biggest fan of Teddy Hulkling, I'm really surprised that he's not doing more. He kind of is just sitting there, not doing anything. And I don't really get the point of this, because from the way that it was advertised to me, I thought Teddy was going to have this huge role in understanding the Kree Skull Alliance and what that meant and this whole, you know, takeover of the universe by whatever. But he really is just sitting there and kind of doing fuck all. I'm really confused as to what exactly I'm supposed to be liking about this. Who am I supposed to be rooting for? What What is... I don't know what... I'm just confused. Something that is adding flames to that confusion pyre valerio shidi's recent tweet of an image from his work on empire epilogue the aftermath showing a sobbing kate bishop so i can't imagine the young avengers are coming out of this too terribly unscathed no oh boy
Last week saw the release of New Mutants number 11 and Wolverine number 3. I know that we've commented a lot that Benjamin Percy has kind of lived in his own bubble of the X-Books. He's had Wolverine and X-Force running simultaneously. And that first Wolverine, I'm pretty sure, Kyle, you referred to it as hardcover sized. Mm. And I'm <laughs> yeah, pretty sure it was. And we're three issues into Wolverine, and this was the first issue that banged for me. I liked the first one. The second one was okay. I didn't need Wolverine using the same kind of trick Spider-Man would use on Wolverine to get Magneto's helmet from him. But that team and Wolverine in that helmet and sexy Bishop behind him. Up, I'm in. Nope, nope, nope. Need a print. Need a poster. Put it up on my wall. Make it my heart. Do you know what I need above all else? I need Magneto's Sentinel Tiki. Oh, my God. If any, yes. if yes. anybody here is like a woodworker or into ceramics, like if you woodwork or you're into ceramics or like you're just crafty, I'll pay you anything you'd like. Please, just an Omega Sentinel Tiki mug. Please and thank you. And while you. you're at it, could you also make Cassandra Nova head ice cube trays so that I can drop Cassandra Nova head ice cubes in the Sentinel Tiki mug? Ooh, the synergy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think that we're asking for too, too much. <laughs> No, we just want drinks that reference genocidal maniacs. Cheers. <laughs> I, you know, did, did anybody else appreciate the fact that this was a Marauder's Light title? Yes. 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 You know, I loved it. Best issue. Definitely the standout for me. And, and you know, I, I suppose the somewhat combative relationship between Wolverine and Jeff Bannister uh, definitely carried me through a little bit, too. I definitely appreciated, you know, even if I thought that it was a little bit tasteless or tone deaf to magically cure his daughter of brain cancer. I think that's a little and I of course this is this is the the conundrum that we find ourselves in in a post Krakoa X world what with life-saving medications we're going to start seeing them in practice permeate the titles themselves did that did that sit poorly with anybody else when I reread the book I finally noticed the sort of like hand-waving disease in a very unattractive way and you're right it goes so tandem with the idea of we've introduced life-saving medications, so now we are going to be in many ways dismissing the idea of illness. But I was jarred by the fact that it feels like the Forge story again. Oh, person is now oh, no. so tied to the mutant kind and here's a Krakoan gateway and like we're getting plant people in every book and we're getting someone who's connected to Krakoa who doesn't belong there in every book right now but now did, was anyone else also relieved that there was nary a mention of a plant person in this entire book I think yes. that was I feel like nice. this I feel like this is the first title that I've read in three weeks that didn't involve a single plant person I think there might have been, like, an offhand mention of, like, oh, nope, we're under attack by plant people. <laughs> I... Oh, damn it. I do want to point out, though, that, like, and I know, okay, I'm, I'm having some real issues with something because I really like an idea and I'm really struggling with if it's okay or not. I, as a polyamorous man in a polyamorous relationship, am very in support of an open, healthy, completely equitable relationship between the cuckoos and cable. I find this entertaining, positive. I think they're going to get more out of him than he's going to get out of them. I think the burden of power is on them. And I think 
our mistaken belief that the burden of power is on him is that it is a male and that he is frequently a grumpy old man. But in actuality, Kid Cable is kind of a fun dickhead and the cuckoos are powerful businesswomen who aren't here to fuck around. So when it comes to that Quentin moment in Wolverine where Wolverine used the cuckoos to manipulate Quentin and then were like, now give us Cable. Now they... They sexualized and itemized Cable. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, they made Cable the commodity. So I find myself worried that this might be misogynistic, but in my heart, I don't think that's the intent as we are frequently shown the women to be in the position of power except by other people's perception. Yes, Emma's like, don't let your son fuck with my daughters, but it's really more like that's Emma's perception as a protective mother. The cuckoos are the ones with the agency here. Cable's the pawn. In the interest of arguing good intent, I would flip over to the pages of X-Men number 10 for a second and to see that another implicitly poly relationship was being, you know, aggressed against obvious gender roles, Petra and Sway being completely unaware of Vulcan's emotional pain until it came to the point of spiraling into any white cis male behavior, which is make things go boom and suddenly, oh honey, no, it's fine, come home. But I, I think this is twice now that we've seen in a week where it is the women with the agency in the case of the Cuckoos and Cable, and it is the women in in, you know, who are completely oblivious in the instance of Petra, Sway, and Vulcan. It, it kind of places, like you were saying, Wolverine's in its own little bubble. Like, where exactly does it fit in continuity? Because we've already seen um, that the relationship is sort of going on in the Cable series. So, Oh, man, you're right. I didn't even think of it that way. She's saying, put us together. And as of Cable number one, it's kind of a foregone conclusion. Ah, Shipping! Oh man, shipping is messing with our shipping. <laughs> ah! Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not exactly sure how to feel about this. I love the Stepford Cuckoos even before I found out that they were Emma's daughters because they're just, you know, amazing. And I still don't know a lot about Cable, so I don't have a fully formed opinion of him yet outside of the biased opinion of Nico, which I can only say is probably one of the most biased opinions about Cable. That I am pretty be. positive on Cable, yes. I call him my precious baby boy. <laughs> I am interested to see what kind of relationship that would lead to. My only reservations come from, I don't want this to play into like this weird, like inherent male fantasy where he's got multiple girlfriends who all look the same. and basically like fucking a bunch of twins. Oh yeah. Mm. Uh, mm. As long as it's kept respectful and done in a way that it doesn't come across that way, I'm sure it'll be, fine that's the best way i can say it is fine well i haven't been privy to the many wolverine kills his teammates and tries to repent stories that i'm sure are out there <sighs> i thought this issue was all right my complaint stems from it feels like all the good action happened off panel it felt towards the end yes. really rushed in my opinion yeah like we breezed yes. through a lot of it and um I think there could have been a little more slowdown in certain areas and sped up in different areas. I don't think this was a bad issue, and I actually thought the ending was cute, and it was all right, blah, blah, blah. Oh, pause. But Wait, actually, speaking I... of Blob, <laughs> this was Blob's big month, right? Yes. Blob was in yes. every book. <laughs> we respect Blob. 
So I have one last question. That part of the Russian ship submarine thingy that got left behind, is that mm. possibly the uh, UFO that we've been seeing that uh, Emma's team has uh, mysteriously acquired? Or are we about to the Mercury? Are we about to start collecting UFOs? Ooh. You get a UFO, and you get a UFO. It was likened to their own Krakoa, so part of me wonders if the art didn't do the intended size justice. Oh. Oh, okay. That's a really good point. You know, with so many things in the hoxpox docks of it all, regularly changing what we thought the size of Krakoa was, and now there's Arako, and we're constantly being challenged by bigger and more frightening sentinels in a world of comics that's constantly pushing the level and the limit of the perspective are we approaching a point where the perspective is beginning to affect how we understand the story? It's a really interesting point. I hadn't even thought of it as possibly an underestimate of perspective. Can we take a second to talk about just how fun the cover art by Mike Del Mundo is for New Mutants number 11? Compared to the nightmarish cover of of uh, New Mutants Ten that gave me uh, my that triggered my phobia of teeth, uh, this mm. is yeah yeah. Uh, this is such a happy cover, and I love it so much. I I am absolutely living for the demon bear gummy bear. <laughs> yes, in the top left, it's amazing. Oh, that that's is, what that, that is, is. That's my baby boy. He's my baby boy. And there's another one in blue on the uh, on like midway to the bottom right. But oh, yeah. everybody, just the 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 life and the expression on everybody's faces. Mondo looks so happy. <laughs> of, of course, Chambers' face is covered, so he doesn't look like anything. It really is just so beautiful and so fun, and especially for to take us out of what has been a pretty dark and gritty and surreal turn for the new mutes. I I very much enjoyed this cover as well. I thought it was bright, thought it was fun. Uh Ileana in a, you know, inflatable tube was probably my favorite part because any part I get to see Ileana is a good part in my eyes. Uh I also really loved the Good Dream splash page. Because it was super adorable, and I'm all about that. Between the very cute Natasha doll and the cute Colossus doll, which is on point because they're both Russian and this girl's Russian. So it's like, those those would be her idols. Mm. And who I think is Squirrel Girl in a Squirrel Yes, it is Squirrel Girl. (laughs) Very cute, very adorable, everything I could have asked for. Now, you know, and you say it's everything you could have asked for, but I will say after the brilliance that came out of the pages of Empire X-Men number one, which was Soul Sword sunglasses, I'm a little upset to pivot back to the cover that we didn't get Soul Sword goggles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I perhaps need an entire line of Ileana eyewear. Oh my God, for sure. Rasputin spectacles. I really, really liked this issue. I really, really liked this arc. But, all right, kind of touching back on what Maddie said about Wolverine, hand-waving medical issues, I felt in some ways like the realities and dangers that this mutant is going through were sort of reduced and hand-waved, and, oh, no, she'll just be in this bubble and she'll be fine. And we've seen the X-Men go to this time and time again when he was temporarily unconstituted. You know, Quentin Choir lived in a bubble, and we've seen X-Men be psychic fragments. 
And as much as I loved Danny being like, no, I remember what it was like to constantly pull out other people's nightmares. Is it possible that the Doc's era has created so many options and given us so many mutants that the realities of the dangers of this arc are almost rendered inherently muted? It's not that I don't think this arc had punch because I even really liked it. But the fact that, oh, nope, now this mutant's just in a jar. There's a tinkerbelling to it that... I don't care for like personally unless they say to me oh no that jar it's a magic jar I kind of feel like Tinkerbell should be able to drop fairy dust on the bottom of it and it should float she should throw fairy dust at the lid of the jar and the jar lid would float like we're in that sort of position where I have a hard time accepting that they can't just use leech to turn off this mutant's powers or have Mm. extracted some sort of psychic cage if they could build a psychic cage in Psylocke's mind that could contain the Shadow King I have a hard time that the extreme and extent of this arc can be wrapped up so neatly at the end without rendering the potentiality of a future arc of this level of complexity and depth inherently mute you know I will I will say something to its credit on the last page that we do see Cosmar before we get the epilogue with the new mutants reconvening at the sextant with Glob holding a tray of sandwiches and winning my heart it does seem like Krakoa is going to be involved in the tinkerbelling uh, you can see in the last image of Cosmar that Krakoa has attached itself almost in a cerebro fashion to the back of Cosmar's head as if to somehow try and organically with the aid of Maxine and Manon heal the shattered psyche of Cosmar. So I, I I will say it is still... I like that you said Tinkerbelling. I would have said a flagrant hand-waving away of mental illness. I think that we are in a tricky situation now where physical and mental illnesses being able to be willed away by Krakoan medicine falls, not to use the term to death, but tone deaf. It's very ableist. I want to make a note that this arc took over three issues of the New Mutants, and the ending felt very hand-wavy. It was really just like, okay, and she's in a bubble, and oh, okay, I'm go- we'll go on this tangent. I do not like Maximum Manon. I don't care for them. They're creepy children. Get them out of here. Kick them away. Send them on their own little private small dot of an island where the only two of them can be because I don't like them. Keep them out yeah. of my They, to me, are That's the un-Franklin and un-Valerian. Yes. Mm. I like yep. my weird little albino empaths. <laughs> well, you can, but I, I prefer the actual yes. empath getting shot <laughs> over in the and head. Over. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> There were some good things about this issue that I liked, whether it's the moments between that Danny had, that Ileana had, or Tabitha had, you know, three of my favorite ex-young adults at this point, because they're not new, they're not really teens, they're not children, they're young adults at this point in their lives. I really felt like if the main point of this entire issue was about saving Cosmar, it felt really just blah, a hand wave. And then Ileana comes and saves the day, which Deus Ex Demona, I, I am, I don't want to be like, I'll allow it because it's Ileana, but I'll allow it because yeah. oh, it's Ileana. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Why haven't they brought in like Jean or another really powerful psychic to be like, here, let's heal your mind. Let's, let's see what's going on. I understand that there might be risky or they're busy, but like, 
they can do it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think as we're seeing in, as we're going to get to it shortly, X-Factor number one, there there was a major emphasis put on just how inundated not only the five are, but I imagine the Quiet Council are, and the, the, the only people that seem to be underutilized at the moment are the captains. I'm really glad that magic seems to be popping up in every second book while Scott's been on Chandelure for like three months. <laughs> And, you know, if we're going to talk about how we, we weren't, but I need to say it, Cosmar has the coolest eyes since the Fury. Yes. Like, and that might even be why I'm upset, because I loved Cosmar and I want to see, I, I, I feel almost weird calling her like a young girl. Like, I don't know. She's been through so much trauma. It's unfair to call her a girl at this point, you know, but she's so visually stunning and I am eager to see if anybody can put half the spin on this Flaviano did. That's actually one of those things that I feel like we maybe don't talk about as much, but like when Chris Boccolo creates a character and then someone else tries to draw them, they look wrong, right? Like one of the best mergings of art ever was Boccolo and Bradshaw alternating on Wolverine and the X-Men because Bradshaw's iteration of young Krakoa of, you know, the baby kid Krakoa that I loved so much that I can only imagine is half of why this is possible. I loved how it was such a different take on the same visual. I am going to be fascinated to see other people try to draw Cosmar with the same deftness of abstract. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have that opportunity to see that and she doesn't just disappear as we move forward in these stories. Do you know where she could go? Do you know what would be a great home for her? Do you know where I want to see everybody go? I want to see everybody go to X-Factor. Ooh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Everyone get your ass in X-Factor. So, how does everybody feel about the inclusion of the five oh, and seeing That was their... literally the thing I was going to say, that this is the first time we're seeing the five all together in quite a while. Yeah, and this... how, how much they're dealing with all of the requests for resurrection and how they're struggling with it. No cutting the line. <laughs> you know, especially in the absence of a running plot singular plot in x-men proper i was i think the first thing i said to nico after reading this book is this felt like the most krakoan based x proper book that we've gotten in months and it, it is due in no short part uh in no short thanks to the five and you know kyle i really love you saying they're they're so hurting they're they're at their limits and it kind of brings me to my question do you guys think there might be an alternative five in the future, like a backup team or a farm team? And who could you see filling in for those roles? Like myself, I struggle for anyone who can fill Proteus's yes. position that isn't Monarch, that isn't Mikhail, I guess M-Plate. Okay, I guess everyone who can alter reality has an M <laughs> in their name. What about Legion? So Legion's powers are so unpredictably psychic my concern would okay. be that if Legion were to go to use one of his abilities and an alternate persona would take over, he might accidentally create a fireball instead of an egg. And all of a sudden, you would get some sort of incredibly on-fire jubilee running around being like, I'd really like to be put out now. Yeah, yeah that would be bad. I mean... I mean, that would bring us closer to our la our discussion last week where um, everybody suddenly had multiple man's <laughs> powers. <laughs> yes! <laughs> well, uh, 
You know, I, I think the answer might fall somewhere in the pages of, as we've mentioned before, Vita's currently shelved Children of the Atom. I think the answer lies in Chimera's. Why not, why not forge, uh, you know, triplets that bear the same abilities as the five? Sure, I, I think that Proteus has to be his own individual, but there's no reason that Rachel Summer, uh, no, excuse me, there's no reason that Hope and Ava Bell can't have the same power set. And if we're going to talk about, you know, maybe implanting abilities, I think it would be foolhardy. And like, I'm not saying do something bad to them. But if we have the ability to chimera people up a little bit, maybe give the cuckoos the ability. Because the cuckoos know how to function in a singular hive mind experience already. And it's that inherent synergistic ability that I think could propel them a step forward. You know, I also, and please, please, no one throw anything at me because I know what I'm about to say is really gross, but does anybody else kind of feel like Sinister could do the job of the five by himself? Yeah, yeah the Marauders. I Yeah, of course. But the Marauders never had souls. Yeah. And That's... the Marauders weren't necessarily a re-summoned entity. They are a little bit like, uh, it's, it's tough because... I I feel like giving Sinister access to this technology is the first step in the Great Fall. But if what we're seeing is the Five can't keep up with this demand, who can you turn to? I don't necessarily think that Sinister is better than Apocalypse for this, but, I you know, Apocalypse is a little bit too busy with, I'm a sorcerer! <laughs> Uh, can I bring up a glaring plot hole, which is, as we saw in the pages of House and Powers, Charles has to be present to use Cerebro to reinstate the essence of a resurrected mutant. If the five are so inundated, as we've seen in the pages of X-Factor, as we've come to understand in the Hoxpox era, where's Charles? You would think this would be a full-time job for him. Does he have some sort of stationary Cerebro? Is it like a Cerebro vending machine? I'm also imagining it's a little bit like kind of like congress and the president like congress is like oh we've worked so hard on this bill uh mr president charles will you <laughs> sign it and he's like um fine brain in there brain ah brain in there brain that one goes in a hole brain in there like i feel like he just sits there with a pen he- all day you know, I, I, I think the only argument against the, you know, I love to argue my own points. Uh, I feel like part of why he wears, part of why he wears Cerebro all the time is because it could be argued that he is doing it remotely at any given moment. I believe I posited that at one point, that Xavier is astrally projecting himself to be everywhere all at once. And perhaps he is like in the no place with Moira. I now definitely want to go back and see how often someone touches Charles now, you know, it's also of note that if you take a look at any number of stories where somebody is facing down a psychic, psychics have routinely made people experience the physical manifestations of being touched, even if they are an astral projection. But I am getting dangerously close to wondering just how real Charles is these days. Well, because he, he is still a human being. He, he is homo superior, but he's a human being, so he needs to have some kind of physical limit. What if he's in Krakoa? Do you think somehow merged with uh, with Krakoa? I think it's inevitably possible that the limits of the genetic makeup of Krakoa and mutants themselves had to be bridged somehow. There had to be a point at which Krakoa, which had fed on mutant energies, became a repository that could be siphoned from. 
I don't know if it's going to be that it was always there and it was activated, but then what was the catalyst for the activation? We've talked so much about how House of X, Powers of Ten, and the Dawn of X as an era have reshaped the X-Men. And we've all sort of sourced it from this one moment. But we still don't know how Xavier is back, exactly. We still don't know how Phantom X is going to be back, exactly. Although those pages are forthcoming immediately. This week. Yeah, I'm so excited. And to know that it is kind of... we, We do have confirmation. Phantom X will tie into the Storm story. Yes. Oh! So a number of the giant sizes do connect, it turns out. Excellent. I just feel like... I feel like we focused so much on the outcome of the change that led to House of X, we've forgotten to ask ourselves what the catalyst was. So, guys, it would appear that X-Factor was such an amazing experience that there's no way to pack this all down into one episode. So, as always, with the This Is X team, we just had a little too much to say, and it's going to spill over into next week. So until we, can, until we come back to find out more about X-Factor, Nathan, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. We loved having you this episode. Clear you're coming back for next episode. But where can everybody find you online? I am online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter. Spectacular. And as always, guys, you know, this just wouldn't be This Is X without you. And I love having you. Kyle, until we come back for the next half, where can everybody find you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Maddie, how about you? You can find me manipulating pheromones on Krakoa over on Instagram at, at the basely covetous man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me. On Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? As always, you? you guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML, Husbands Talking More or Less, where currently we are doing a deep dive with a bunch of these guys into the Fantastic Four, occasionally the Fantastic Five. Don't forget to check out all the feeds of X's for podcast, as well as Too Fast, Too Forever, Joey Lewandowski's and Joe 2's breathtaking deep dive into the, fan- into the Fast and Furious films, which... I decided needed to be turned into superhero magic fair. And now there's things like the Fantastic Force. No, said that wrong. The Fast Force, the Furious Force, and the Shoddy Shift. Guys, <laughs> the world is a constantly evolving and changing situation. We have a massive election coming up, and the most important thing you can do is arm yourself with knowledge to keep yourself current on the events. You need to vote like your weakest friend's life depends on it, because frankly, this year, it does. Black lives matter, trans dreams matter, and guys, remember to keep learning. As always, it's fun reading the funny books, though. And until we return here to Krakoa, we'll see ya. See ya. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.